0: So we're going to continue in our teaching series called Transformation, and tonight we're going to, uh, we're going to look at the second half of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of this message. So if you take notes, you want to start writing stuff down now, okay? The title of this sermon is A Reasonable Response, A Reasonable Response. Go ahead and write that down, and I'm going to go ahead and give you really, really, really early... My sermon in a sentence, if you've been here a while, you know I like to um, narrow the whole sermon down to one sentence in case somebody nods off, in case I forget what I'm talking about, which is very likely. My sermon in a sentence tonight is, anything less than our best is a felony. Some of you are laughing, and I understand why. Anything less than our best is a felony. Last week, we talked about how important it is to get a solid view of God's mercy, to really understand just what it is that God accomplished for us through his son, Jesus. I want everybody listening right from the start. You need your listening ears tonight. Paul said, in view of God's mercy. That statement is what our transformation hinges on. Without a right view of what God has done for us in his mercy, we will not see transformation in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. Last week I said that our greatest ally in this journey towards transformation is perspective. And I talked about the mercy perspective. We looked at um, four things that you find in Romans chapters 1 through 11. Things that, four ways of seeing our lives in light of the gospel. We talked about who we were in Christ before we were saved. We were dead in our sins. We talked about how, uh, who he is, who he is and what he's done upon the cross that um, brings us forgiveness of our sins, makes us new. We talked about who we are, the third thing, who we are now in him because of God's grace and through our faith in Jesus Christ Christ's son, and we talked about who we will be according to the precious promises that we find in God's words. All those thing, things are in Romans chapters one through 11. He gives a clear understanding of those four things. And then Romans chapter 12, he says, in view of everything you just learned, in view of God's mercy, you must respond. You gotta respond. And tonight I wanna talk to you about a reasonable Response. You good with that? Okay, I want to start off by showing this video clip. How many of you have seen that movie? If you have not seen that, you've got to go see *The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a great movie. It's one of the best, and that's one of my favorite scenes from that movie. So this, I was thinking about this scene this week as I was preparing this message. And this scene in this movie is like the best preach of Romans chapter 12, verse one, preaches it perfectly. Here you got this man laying flat on his back, deserving to die because of what he had done. And instead of being killed, he is shown mercy. He was allowed to live. And what was his response? I am your man forever. That was a terrible accent, but that's what he said. I am your man forever. That's it. You guys, listen to me. That's it. That's the response. I am yours forever. Look what Paul says. In view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. This is a reasonable response. This is the only response that makes any sense. And it's the only response that God has ever wanted to be worshiped. When Moses went to speak to Pharaoh, way back in Exodus, you guys remember? What did did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. We know that much, right? We sing songs about it, right? But he says, let my people go so that they may worship me. God's one desire is that his people worship him, always has been. And listen, you guys, y'all listen. We get that. We know that. We've heard that. And yet, worship has been limited in the lives of believers to a once a week event, once a week service where we sing and we pray and we hear a sermon. Maybe we take communion And obviously those things are great ways to express our devotion to God. Please don't misunderstand me. But a church service, which is where people primarily express their devotion to God, practice their spirituality, only makes up a couple hours of the week where we do a few things in the name of God. But here's the thing, worship is not about doing. Worship is about being. You know, you can do right things and not be someone who really has a desire to please God. Isn't that true? And the opposite is true. You can be someone that really wants to please God and not necessarily know how to do it. Isn't that true? Look really quick at Matthew 19. You may already be there. Since I told you, Matthew 19, gives a perfect example of that. And we're going to be here for just a second. Matthew 19, I want you to turn here. cause You may want to mark some things down. A guy comes to Jesus, and this is the story of the, the rich young ruler. Very, very familiar story. Someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may attain eternal life? And he said to them, why are you asking me? What is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the young man said, Which ones? And Jesus said, Well, you should not commit murder, you shouldn't commit adultery, you probably shouldn't steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father, honor your mother, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me pause and just say, I I have personally always believed that this is someone who actually has a relationship with God, that has a level of devotion to God. And even with this interaction, you can kind of see that. He comes to Jesus. First of all, that's a big deal. It's like Nicodemus, remember? Nicodemus came to Jesus. He wanted to know. Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. It was a big conversation that most of us are familiar with. So he comes to Jesus asking about salvation. But then you hear Jesus' conversation and answer. Does it doesn't really have to do with salvation. It really has more to do with transformation. He says, well, here's what you need to do to obtain life. Not eternal life, but he says life. In the original, it's, it's zoe. It means vitality. It means fullness of life. It means a blessed life. Here's what you need to do if you want to have the fullness of life. And really, it's a picture, again, of sanctification, that transformation that we're talking about. So that's another reason, I think, this guy, he he was hungry for God. And then he calls Jesus teacher, which is a uh, term to acknowledge someone that is, you know, good to go in preaching the law. He's acknowledging that you are someone that is fit to teach the law. If you look at the Mark 10 account of this story, it actually says that Jesus felt a love for him. There's something going on that's more than what we think it at. You have to you have to look at all the all of it together. Another thing is is Jesus doesn't start rattling off what we would call the first table commandments. First table commandments are um, love. Um, there shall be no other gods before me. Um, you shall not worship false idols and things like that. What he does is he goes into what we would call the second table commandments, which deal with. Primarily, our relationship with others. He talks about murder. You guys remember? Murder. Well, it's interesting. I'll look at this really quick um, because most of these are areas that we need transformation in. So let's look at them real quick. Murder. I mean, at the core of that, that's talking about not holding on to anger. Adultery. Uh, Having self-control in the area of lust. See, these are all things that most of us struggle with one way or the other in the area of transformation. Stealing. You know what that really is? It's not being content with what we have. And being jealous of what someone else has. Bearing false witness. At the end of the day, it comes down to this we are insecure. And we will say other things, things to other people or about other people to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Am I speaking to the wrong crowd? No. This is honoring parents, you know it's one way or another it comes back to walking in forgiveness, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? So he gives this list, the second table commandments list. And listen what the young man says. All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Of course, when he says kept, he doesn't mean I've been perfect in them. He says, I've guarded my life in these areas. I I have my eyes on them. I'm trying not to stumble in these areas. He's attentive to these um, second table commandments. And you know what? He probably was. He probably worked hard in these areas just like most of us sitting here tonight. But haven't we all longed for more? haven't we? Haven't we all longed for more just like this guy? Haven't we all at least internally asked, what am I lacking? What am I lacking? Jesus gave this young man a universal answer to that very, very personal question. He says, if you wish to be complete, if you wish to be whole, if you wish to be transformed if you wish to be metamorpho oh we talked about that last week you need to go listen to the podcast if you want to be that beautiful butterfly here's what you need to do go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me now some have taken this conversation to mean that piety and poverty equals spirituality that's not what that means That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is teaching this young man, and he's really teaching us, a foundation for worship, which is sacrifice. Everybody say it. Sacrifice. Letting go. Sacrifice. (laughs) Philippians chapter three. You don't have to turn there. It's gonna be on the screen. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of, he likes that phrase, doesn't he? In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have already suffered the loss of all things. And I count them all. In other words, I count everything as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. He's saying, in view of God's mercy, as much as I value my own life, As much as I value my own preferences, and my own comfort, and my own opinion, and my own desires, I understand that my reasonable response is to be, for Jesus, what he was for me. Selfless and surrendered. I am your man. I am no longer my own man. I am yours. What do you want from me? What do you want for me? There's this old thing. It's it's really old. It's called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. I know it, at one time the Methodist Church used it in their liturgy, uh, somewhat of a declaration. It's called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. You can go look it up. But here's what it says. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. Amen. Jacopo nailed it, didn't he? I am your man forever. I am your man for life. Listen, Jesus' request had nothing to do with this young man's possessions or money. It had to do with his heart. It had to do with devotion. It had to do with worship. It had to do with his view of God's mercy. It says that when the young man heard Jesus' statement, what Jesus said, it says that, that he went away grieving. He was sad for he was one who owned much property and he was not willing to let go of it. This is a sacrifice that he wasn't willing to make. It seemingly, he held back from God. He put his life first. Is everybody with me? Instead of laying down his life, instead of giving the best of what he had, he walked away. And you know what? He probably continued to strive for excellence in the second table commandments, but he didn't address the area of best. Can I say that again? He didn't address the area of best. And as Vanilla Ice, who with his sage wisdom ushered us into the 1990s, said so eloquently, Anything less than our best is a felony. Now, let me define felony before you call me a heretic for using a line from Ice Ice Baby as my sermon in the sentence. A felony, by definition, is an offense of graver character than a misdemeanor, okay? Most of us know the language. We're talking Um, legal language here, okay? Most of us are familiar with it. Some of us more familiar than others, okay? (laughs) An offense considered a misdemeanor might get you fined. It might get you community service. It might get you probation. It might even get you a year tucked away behind bars in jail. But a felony A felony will put you behind bars for a significant amount of time. It may even get you put to death. I want you guys to listen to me very carefully. Last week, we talked about the sacrifice of Jesus and how it was made to bring us eternal life. The punishment that he received on our behalf, even though he was innocent, he was treated like a felon. He was treated like a a hardened criminal and yet he didn't hurt anyone. His death, though completely undeserved, brought us life. Y'all remember that conversation last week? A reasonable response is to give Jesus the life that he died for, which is our very own, right? Last week, we sang a song called Living for Your Glory. In view of God's mercy. I offer my all. Take my life, let it be. Everything, all of me. Here I am, use me for your glory. Everything I say and do, let my life honor you. Here I am, use me for your glory. Y'all remember that? And we worship to it. We took communion to it. We lifted our hands. Closed our eyes. Anything less than that puts us behind bars. Anything less than that robs us of life. It robs us of joy. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. Listen, I'm not sure Christians really understand what happens when we hold back from God. What happened to Lucifer? The angel that was beautiful that God created to, to um, be the worship leader in heaven. We started holding back worship for himself. And what happened? He got cast down. He got kicked out of heaven along with a third of his angels that were deceived. What about Jonah. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them all about me. God, and Jonah's like, I'm not going over there. Those people are crazy. And he went in the complete opposite direction. Where did he end up? In the belly of a fish. What about the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira. Remember their story? Those guys held back in the area of finances. Finances. But if you look at the story of Cain and Abel, that goes all the way back, very, very, very early in the Bible, what you're gonna find is this principle established. Go ahead and turn there, Genesis 4. We'll look at it really quick. Genesis chapter four. Now the man had relations, Adam, had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've given I have gotten a man-child. I love that. I've gotten a (laughs) man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to God Of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portion. So you can see from the very beginning, the idea of offering your first and your best as a sacrifice to God was considered a reasonable response to the goodness of God. You see it right there, right? All the way back. It says that that the Lord had regard for Abel. And his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he did not have regard. Regard means to look upon, or it means to accept. He accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's offering. It says that Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Wow, did you see that? What was robbed when Cain held back from God? His joy. (laughs) Cain was jealous of Abel but only because he knew that his heart truly wasn't in the right place and Abel's was that's where that came from which reminds me it's, it's gonna be much easier for us to see transformation in these sin areas of our lives when we begin to give God our first and our best let me say that again It will be easier for transformation to happen, for sin to decrease in our lives when we begin giving him our first and our best. Look what God says. He says, the Lord said, hey, why are you angry, Cain? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? (laughs) By the way, really quick, the story of the rich young ruler that we were talking about. There's a lot of biblical scholars, theologians that believe that Joseph of Arimathea was the rich young ruler. And we don't know that for a fact, but there's a lot of scholars that believe that. If you don't know who Joseph of Arimathea was, he was the guy who gave up his very expensive tomb, grave, so that Jesus, the son of God, would have a place to be buried. Okay? Okay. Can you, let's just assume for a second that it was Joseph of Arimathea, that the rich young ruler was Joseph of Arimathea that gave Jesus his grave. Can you imagine the release of joy and freedom that Joseph would have felt, experienced, knowing that the most valuable thing, probably, that he owned was used for God's glory? There's nothing that will bring freedom joy to know that you have played a part in the kingdom in a significant way. God was telling Cain the same thing that Jesus was telling the rich young ruler. You don't have to go away, sad. You could give your all. You could be willing to open up everything and be open-handed with your possessions to God. And God says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you, but you must master it. Now, I don't know if you call it that, but according to God's very own words, when we choose to hold back our best from God, sin takes control of us rather than us taking control of of our sin, it's right there, it's right there, and then the next thing it says is Cain told Abel, his brother, I gotta be honest, I was telling Melissa this morning, I was reading over this again, and I've never seen, I've read this dozens of times, but I never had seen this, that Cain had a conversation with Abel about Cain's conversation with God, I'm gonna go talk to my brother about it, not a bad thing, a really good thing, but you know what Abel said to him, Dude, my advice would be, give God your very best. But Cain, just like most of us in this room, cannot stand to be corrected. We say, hold hold me accountable, brother. But we have our fingers crossed behind our backs when we say it we might as well just be honest and true and say, don't tell me what to do. And it came about that when they were in the field, this is the very next verse after their conversation, that Cain rose up and killed Abel. You wanna know why? You can write this down. It's because he who holds back hates those who don't. Those who hold back will hate those who don't. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's like, dude, what's up with the sarcasm? What's up with the cynicism? Can I, can I give you something else you can take to the bank? You ready? Some of you are not going to come back next week. That's okay. A sarcastic and cynical Christian is one who is holding back their best from God. You can take that to the bank. A sarcastic and cynical Christian is one that one way or the other is holding back their best from God. God says, what have you done, Cain? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now when you cultivate the ground it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant. You will be a wanderer upon the earth. Okay, I don't know if you caught it, but what was God's sentence to Cain? Well basically, let's just narrow down. You're a slave. I just put you in prison. A life sentence of grief. Why? Because anything less than our best is a felony. It's an offense. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant. I will be a wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me. Do you like that? That was my dramatic presentation. So the Lord said to him, Okay, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that anyone who finds him would not slay him. In other words, we don't know exactly what happened, but somehow God marked Cain and spread the rumor that don't kill him or God will kill you. Okay, so that's what happened. I love this because it shows that God didn't give up on Cain. Listen to me. God did not give up on Cain. The first murderer and God didn't give up on him. What did he tell Cain a little bit earlier? If you do well, if you do well, listen to me, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Cain, will you not be blessed if you give God your best? Tony, will you not be blessed if you give God your best? Randy, Marvin, Ben, Weston, will you not be blessed? If you give God your best, that's what God says to all of us. We look at and we see it in his word everywhere. Give God your best and you will be blessed. Give God your best and you will be blessed. I think Abraham is a great model of what God has in mind. Abraham all the way back, all the way back. Father Abraham, he didn't hold back. Not even the most precious thing in his life. If you don't know the story of Abraham, God shows up to Abraham and Sarah who were barren. They couldn't have babies. And said, you guys are going to have more babies. You know what to do with. And they're like, what? They believed him. And God came through. They, it, a great amount of time, they had to wait for this promise, but finally happened, and they, she gave birth to Isaac, their first son. And Isaac grew up, and they had a lot of years to get to know Isaac. And boy, Abraham loved Isaac. Loved him. One day, God shows up and said, so... I need you to sacrifice Isaac. Now you need to get this because this is a picture of sacrifice. You know what sacrifice really means—to butcher, to to um, mutilate. That's really what that means. I need you to go and mutilate your son. I need you to butcher him. I need you to kill him. I need you to sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, "Okay." Didn't even hesitate went and got the stuff, made his son carry the firewood. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're mean. So Abraham puts Isaac on the altar, who was big enough to say, Dad, we ain't doing this. But it just shows you the relationship of trust from God to the Father all the way down to the Son. Abraham puts his knife, but at the last moment, God says, stop! Now I know that I can trust you. I have seen your faith. I have seen your devotion. You are a worshiper indeed. And he provided an alternative sacrifice. You guys, this is amazing. This precious thing, really person, Isaac, was given by God's grace in his love and mercy to Abraham and Sarah. It, it was given to him, right? This is, the, this, you got to get this. What is, what is, what do you have in your life that is so very precious? That <laughs> is so precious that it was not given to you by God. What do you have? Let's go through the list. I have my family and I have my car and I have my house and I've got my toys and I got my job and I got my stuff. What in your life do you have that is so precious so precious that you would not have the same reasonable response, view of God's mercy, understanding of God's goodness that Abraham had. This is precious to me, but you're the one that gave it to me to begin with. It's yours. And I'm gonna trust you with that. Listen to me, guys. It is completely unreasonable not to give God our best when he gave us his very best.